Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Islamic History Exclusive. This is the podcast exclusively for Patreon Patreon supporters of the Islamic History Podcast. And we are going over the life of Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, also known as the Sirah. And we are now on Sirah episode number 32. So just a recap of the previous episode. The Jewish tribes of Khaybar and the pagan Arab tribes of Ghatafan, they were conspiring against the Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ led a force of 1,400 soldiers to Khaybar, roughly 95 miles north of Medina. And Khaybar was a group of settlements with various fortresses. The Muslims conquered all of Khaybar and all the fortresses, increasing their land holdings and wealth. And after the conclusion of the battle, the Prophet married Safiya, the daughter of one of the Jewish tribal chiefs, and also while the Prophet was returning from Khaybar back to Medina, his cousin Ja'afar ibn Abi Talib and the other migrants who had gone to Abyssinia years earlier, they returned to Medina. They had been in Abyssinia for 15 years at this time. So, on with this episode. In this episode, we're pretty much just going to cover various minor events that happened in the remainder of the seventh year of the Hijrah. So, we're essentially just closing out the seventh year of the Hijrah. No real, real major events, really. Just a lot of minor ones. First, there's a story of Hajjaj ibn Ilat. Hajjaj was a Muslim, but the Quraysh did not know that yet. Hajjaj was a member of Banu Sulaim, and the Banu Sulaim tribe had not fully accepted Islam. But Hajjaj, he was not staying in Mecca, but he had property in Mecca, and he wanted to go back there to reclaim the property. He had once been a successful merchant while in Mecca, and he had had, uh, let several people within Mecca hold his property as a form of trust. So he wanted to go back there and get his property before the Quraysh found out that he was Muslim and confiscated it. And so he asked the Prophet for, for permission to go back to Mecca, and the Prophet gave it to him. And in the conversation, Hajjaj implied that he might have to lie in order to make it through and get into Mecca and get his property. And Prophet, um, while Hajjaj did not directly say, I'm going to have to lie, give me permission, the Prophet pretty much gave him permission, stating that uh, basically, do, say what you have to say, or say whatever you want to say. And so Hajjaj went off. And sure enough, as soon as he entered Mecca, the Quraysh started asking him about information about Khaybar and wanted to know what was going on. And so Hajjaj pretty much <laughs> led them pretty much far astray. He would not tell them the truth. He told them that the Muslims had been defeated when actually Muslims had been quite successful. He said that several companions had been killed. And he also, also said that the Prophet had been taken captive and that the um, the um, Khaybar, the Jews of Khaybar were were preparing to ransom him back to the Quraysh. And so now the Quraysh are super happy. They started spreading the news all throughout Mecca. Meanwhile, while they're going all jubilant about this, Hajjaj, he's going about just getting his property back and making arrangements to have all his property sent to Medina. While he's going through this, he's confronted by Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, who is the prophet's who was the Prophet's uncle. And so Abbas, wants, he, he's of course heard these rumors and he wants to know if these things are true. And he confronts Hajjaj and Hajjaj tells him, let's meet in a private place. And so before leaving Mecca, Hajjaj, he met with Abbas and he tells him the truth. And so then Hajjaj goes on and leaves Mecca and returns to Medina. And after he's gone, Abbas, he goes and tells the Quraysh the truth and says that, nope, you were wrong and you've been fooled and duped. Actually, Muhammad is doing quite well. He uh, now holds a whole bunch of property. He's become much wealthier. And on top of that, he married a Jewish princess. So he's doing pretty good. 
And so when the Quraysh learned the truth, they are, they are definitely very upset about being duped and also the fact that the Muslims have just gotten a whole lot stronger. And so that was that. So another uh, event that happened, which we spoke about earlier in, another, in an earlier episode, the Prophet's daughter, Zainab, was reunited with her husband, Abu Al-As ibn Rabi. This happened in Muharram of the seventh year of the Hijrah. Muharram, once again, is the last month of the year. Anyway, we did discuss this before in episode number 17, Surah episode number 17. And But just a quick recap. Abu al-As was married to the Prophet's daughter named Zainab, and they had been married before the Prophet received the revelation. Abu al-As, he did not become Muslim, even though his wife Zainab did. And after the Prophet made the hijrah, Abu al-As and Zainab, they stayed in Mecca while the Prophet and the other Muslims went on to Medina. Abu al-As, he participated in the Battle of Badr, and he was captured during that battle. And, the, and uh, Zainab sent the Prophet and Nicholas, basically encouraged him to free her husband. So the Prophet ﷺ agreed to free Abu al-As, but uh, one of the conditions of his release was that he was to send Zainab to Medina. And so Abu al-As, he complied, and when he returned to Mecca, he then sent his wife on to her father, Prophet Muhammad, in Medina. Years later, Abu As was uh, captured by the Muslims while he was on a business trip. This was after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, so the Muslims had a peace treaty going on, so there was really no reason to harm Abu As, but he was captured. He was a Quraysh, he was captured a little bit too close to Muslim territory. But anyway, while he was a captive, he was treated very kindly. And he was, remember, the Muslims are in the middle of a peace agreement right now. Things are going good. The Muslims are in high spirits, they're winning battles all over the place. And he was treated very kindly. And as a result, he was convinced of Islam and he converted to Islam. And with that, he was allowed to stay in Medina and reunited with his wife, the Prophet's daughter, Zainab. There were also various minor raids during the seventh year of the Hijrah, but I don't need to go through all of them. There's quite a few of them and most of them, I, I couldn't find any real significance in them. Well, but generally speaking, these raids, just based on the location of the raids, it appears to me, and Allah knows best, but it seems as if the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims were trying to consolidate their hold on this northern part of Medina. I'm sorry, this northern part of Arabia around Khaybar. Remember, they had captured all this territory around Khaybar, but Khaybar was a good 95 miles north of Medina. So there's a lot of property, a lot of land between Khaybar and Medina that the Muslims don't control. And so it seems to me that the Muslims are trying to consolidate this area to try to link these two regions that they now controlled, Medina and Khaybar. So the Muslims were essentially building themselves a little, you know, little kingdom here. And so uh, just one raid I want to talk about, this was the raid of Banu Murrah. And this was once again located north of Medina, pretty close to Khaybar. During this raid, one of the companions, Osama ibn Zaid, he fought one of the men who were allied with Banu Murrah near Khaybar. And uh, Osama was fighting the man and he had basically defeated him and he was about to do him in and kill him. And when the man realized Osama ibn Zaid was about to kill him, he quickly recited the Shahada. And when Osama heard this, he still killed him anyway. And eventually, the story got back to Prophet Muhammad wasallam, and the Prophet re rebuked Usama for killing this man after he recited the Shahada. 
And essentially, I'm, I can't, I'm going to paraphrase what the prophet was saying, at least the meaning that the prophet is trying to get across to Allah was basically saying that if you kill people while they're taking the shahada, then no one will ever go, go to you to take shahada. So no one, no one will ever come to you to take shahada if you keep killing people when they make, take shahada. This is basically saying you shouldn't have killed them. He gave his shahada. You don't know whether he was doing And there's other stories like this. There's another story like this in a, diff, in a different famous hadith. I can't remember it right now. The other story is similar to this. But uh, essentially, the Prophet was telling Osama ibn Zayd that you, you can't kill people after they take their shahada. You don't know whether they, even if you think or suspect that they're only doing it to save their lives, you don't know what's in their hearts. You have to let them go. And that was that. I just want to bring up, that's one of the many raids during this period of time. But this was a one significant story I thought was important. Now, the one event that was fairly important during the seventh year of the Hijrah was Umratul Qada. This was the Umrah of Fulfillment. And this was essentially making up for the Umrah or the minor pilgrimage, as it's also sometimes known in English. This was interrupted the year before that ultimately led to the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. There's some companions or some reports that say that it's not really making up for that pilgrimage or that Umrah that was interrupted, but that instead the Umrah that was interrupted or not or not completed, it was actually changed. Allah actually changed that Umrah from 6 AH to 7 AH. So it's not that they're making up for the Umrah, but that they're actually the same Umrah that had just been changed to a new year. Finer details, uh, not really for me to say. I'm just wanting to make, to make that um, aware to you. You can take it any way you want to take it. Anyway, so this Umrah called Umratul Qada took place in Dhul Qa'ada in the seventh year of the Hijrah. Dhul Qa'ada is the last, I'm sorry, the 11th month, next to last month of the Islamic calendar. And so the Prophet, he, um, the agreement was. So just to remind you, the agreement was at the Treaty of Hudaybiyah that the Muslims would not make Umrah that year, but that they come back that they could come back the following year to make Umrah. So this is basically fulfilling that part of the treaty. And so the Prophet he uh, made the Umrah. He brought along with him uh, the same men who had come the year before. They also brought about sixty sacrificial camels. Uh, they left most of the weapons behind, but each man did bring in a single sword. That was part of the agreement also. When the Muslims uh, were on their way to Mecca, many of the Quraysh left and went out into the mountains and hills surrounding Mecca. Uh, it's not that they were afraid. It's that there was, um, I guess, an honor thing. They didn't want to see their enemy entering their homes without being able to do anything about it. But the Quraysh had to abide by the treaty as well. And so many of them left. However, some did stay. And those that stayed behind, they watched the proceedings. They watched the Muslims make the pilgrimage from a, a building called Darul Nadwa. This was like, a, for lack of a better word, a parliament or senate building for the Quraysh. This is where a building where the leaders would gather of the Quraysh. The leaders of the Quraysh would gather to discuss important things and make plans and basically managed the city so to speak and they were curious for one thing they had heard rumors that the muslims were weakened and that they were in distress and that they were very poor and struggling out there in medina they wanted to see if any of this was true and perhaps there's a level of distrust or maybe even a level of, of curiosity to see what uh these muslims many of them were part of their families see what they were going to do here 
Anyway, so the Prophet and his companions, they enter Mecca and they perform the rites of the pilgrimage. The Prophet ﷺ, he kissed the black stone. He touched the Yemeni corner. He ran around the Kaaba. Well, actually, he ran the first. There's seven um, circumambulations, tawaf, around the Kaaba. There's seven. You go around it seven times, part of the um, Omrah or Hajj rites. He ran the first three times and then he walked the final three times. I'm sorry, final four times. And some of the companions thought that the Prophet had done this just to show that the Muslims were really strong and not weak uh, to pr probably clear up those rumors that the Quraysh were hearing. But at the same time, he also uh, did the same thing during the farewell Hajj, which was the, the um, one and only Hajj the Prophet ﷺ performed. And this came a couple of years later. I think about three years, no, four years later, I suppose. About four years later it happened. In any case, uh, he also did the same thing, ran the first three, walked the last four. And so this made it clear that this was actually a sunnah and not actually just a, something to show up for the Quraysh. In any case, so after that, the, um, the Prophet completes the rites of pilgrimage. And after he completed the rites of pilgrimage, he then married Maymuna bint al-Hadith. The Prophet was still in the state of Ihram, and so the marriage was performed, performed, but he couldn't consummate the marriage because he was in Ihram. Hope I don't have to explain what consummate means. Anyway, so the marriage was performed by Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, who performed the marriage. He basically married the two people together. And as it so happened, Maymuna was Abbas's wife's sister. And so there are some reports that state he urged the prophet to marry Maymuna, and he may have done this to perhaps strengthen the prophet's ties with Maymuna's family. She was part of the Halali tribe, which was a very powerful tribe in the region, Alano's best. In any case, Maymuna would wind up being the prophet's last marriage. She would wind up being his last wife. And so eventually, the part of the agreement of the whole uh, treat of Hudaybiyah for this return to Mecca. Part of the agreement was that a prophet would only stay for three days to make his pilgrimage and then he would leave, me leave Mecca. Well, the time came, the time expired, and it was time for the Muslims to leave. And the Quraysh sent a representative saying that the prophet had to go. And the prophet, when he was talking to the Quraysh representative, he said, Well, he had just, he said, I just gotten married and maybe I could have a walima or a party. Um, so you understand, and, and, um, Islamic or Arabic terminology, nikah is the actual marriage ceremony where man and a woman are married. That's the actual marriage. But walima is the marriage feast or the wedding feast, so to, so to say. So he was asking the Quraysh to give him tea. I just got married, give him time to, to um, allow him to have the walima. He, he even invited them. So you can come and join the walima with me. Come in and share my food. But the Quraysh being the... <laughs> Being the uh, rude people they were, they rebuffed him and they said, we don't need your food, we don't need your party, we want you gone. And so the prophet had to abide by the terms of the treaty and by their demands, and he left soon thereafter. And uh, after he left, his uh, maula, he um, brought Maimuna to the prophet um, at a location called Sarif, about 10 miles outside of Mecca. And that is where the Prophet wasallam consummated his marriage with her. By then, of course, he had all obviously left the state of Ihram, which is a state of purity in, um, when a Muslim makes pilgrimage. So that will conclude the events of the seventh year of the Hijrah. 
In the next episode, inshallah, we will begin the eighth year of the Hijrah. Many, many important events. And so we'll get into that pretty soon, inshallah. So until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.